Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. It is my favorite episode. Once a month we get to put a character on trial. Uh, last time was The Blob in a really thought-provoking, hilarious, but also insightful uh, podcast. I hope you got a chance to listen to that. And we have several of our jury members from last trial returning with us today to put the character The Toad on trial. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about The Toad today. I had the chance, as always, to review his entire chronological history. Reading front to back, I was astounded at how inconsistent this character is in portrayal, but how consistent in theme uh, they are. We're going to kind of talk about what that means in just a few minutes, but this was a character that was fascinating to read front to back. So as we're starting, we're going to have each of our jury members uh, introduce themselves, let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. And uh, while we're beginning, what do you like about the Toad? And uh, what is your favorite Toad story? Uh, we're going to begin with uh, someone who's very special today, especially as it is her birthday, Miss Alicia Wilder. How are you? Hello, I'm great. How are you? Happy birthday to you. And I'm good. Thank Woo! you for spending your birthday with us this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, doing nerdy things is a great way to spend my birthday. Um, so as you said, I'm Alicia. I use she, her pronouns and I don't know if I have a favorite Toad story, but I do really like the physicality that Toad has in the artwork. Like he he always has a consistent physicality and I like that the eviler he gets, the bigger his mouth gets. Um, <laughs> just as like from a perspective of the art of Toad, that's something that I found really interesting in going through the comics. Uh, and what are your gender pronouns? Where do we know you from? She, her, hers are my pronouns, and you know me as co-host of the Ex-Wife Podcast. Yay! Uh, one of my very earliest podcasts, back when I was just beginning, my friend Ian was on an episode with me, and I think it was in the first appearance of the Toad. He's like, everywhere he hops, there's a little yellow chemtrail behind him. Is he peeing? Mm -hmm. And now that's the only way I can see it. <laughs> that's amazing. Just uh, let's have Noel go next. Yeah, I'm Noelle, she, her pronouns. I host the X-Men Unraveled podcast. Um, I feel like I have a soft spot for mutants whose like mutation makes them unpalatable or kind of they can't pass as humans as easily. And Toad fits that, but um, I generally don't like him because he ends up being terrible. Uh, but my favorite story for him is when he escapes from Magneto because he was treated so badly. I love when he escapes at this hopeful moment that maybe Toad will be better, but he's not. But I still love that moment for him. 
Uh, I'm going to preemptively answer. My favorite Toad story is Avengers 53, which we just reviewed on the pod. It will not have come out by the time we've recorded this, but will by the time this episode comes out with uh, Casey Counselor when Toad finally was like, I've had enough of your fucking abuse. Get off my like, get off my ship. I'm kicking you out. And uh, there's a there's a new Toad reborn. That's my favorite. Uh, let's have Derek go next. Hi, Derek. Hey, uh, Derek Krinskin. Uh, I'm a space opera science fiction author, um, and I'm also a longtime X-Men comics reader. Uh, I go by Hey Him, and uh, favorite Toad story is, yeah, that Avengers X-Men crossover. Um, but uh, not for the reason that, like, he gets his comeuppance with Magneto, but, like, just... Um, the the sheer psychophancy of that character like master you know i'll do this for you and it's like just so um you don't see that in any other places that it's that deep and i was as i was rereading recently um i was so inspired by it that i i started texting with one of the people in my dnd group and i'm like do you think i could play a character like an igor or a toad and like how funny would that be but i need somebody to call me you brainless gargoyle or you credited um <laughs> The, they didn't go for it and they were like i'm not sure that we're gonna get sympathy and the person who's being the abuser like how does that work with group dynamics so as it is i don't think i'm going to be able to role play a toad character but maybe someday in the future i will call you a suffering sycophant anytime you like <laughs> i am here for you my friend <laughs> no you, i'm here for you brainless gargoyle <laughs> uh, hey maybe your girlfriend will be into it too you could try it out <laughs> some people are really into that they pay good money for that. <laughs> new nickname uh justin would you like to go next i would love to hey everyone my name is justin he him pronouns i am the other half of the ex-wife podcast with my wife alicia and favorite toad stories i'm not sure you know, I love when Storm electrocutes the crap out of him in X-Men, the first movie, because that's the one line that I can remember exactly. And I actually really enjoyed him in X-Men Evolution because I feel like it retained a lot of the characteristics that he was known for, but humanized him and gave him a little bit more of a backbone and, and a little bit more personality. Um, but I don't know that there's really something that sticks out in terms of a story in the comics. There also to what Alicia was talking about, about his physicality. I'm a huge fan. Spider-Man is my favorite character. Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men. So I have a soft spot for those agile types that have that ability to move in that way. So he just never broke into that list, but I give him respect for what he's got. Uh, will you give us the line from the movie? What happened? Do you know what happens to a toad when struck by lightning? I don't know what toad says. He's just... Okay, Toad looks at Storm. Same thing that happens to everything else. When I saw that movie as a teenager, I was like, oh my God, that line was terrible. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and that's why it's cemented in my memory. And uh, for all of our listeners who cannot see us as we record, Noelle's partner just ever so carefully climbed behind her, crouching on the floor. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Okay, I was like, do I put it in the chat? Like, what's happening? My dog decided to take the giantest poop she's ever taken in her life over here. And so I had to text him, can you please come pick this up? And he's coming up and I see him crawling. I'm like, you can walk. No, no, he decided to crawl. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my my partner and I recently exchanged our wedding vows in a like family ceremony. We're on a beach in San Diego and there's a couple that's just walking through the moment I'm reading my vows. And so on our wedding video, 
I'm reading, it's like very sincere and they're going behind like, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> uh, last but not least, we have a new jury member uh, joining us, a recent guest on my podcast and a new friend of mine. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hello, Chad. Thanks for having me back on. It's good to see you again and good to meet all you other fine people. So let us know where we may know you from, your gender pronouns, and what do you love about the toad and or what is your favorite toad story? Well, if you want to, you can find me podcasting over at uh, X for Podcast um, at XF4P on Twitter. And um, I occasionally show up on X of Words, and I've been having a lot of fun doing guest spots uh, here on Gray Malkin Lane. And hopefully you'll see some more in the future. My gender pronouns are they and them. And favorite Toad story or favorite things about Toad? Uh, well, as I was telling you a little bit before we uh, got prepared for this, but my favorite Toad story is the one that both you and Derek chose as well, Avengers number 53. It was just always stuck with me. It was one of the first essentials I had as a kid, and Toad's character in it is so compelling as, like, a literal Toady, but also just, like, he's had enough. He's had enough. And it is so wonderful to see him, like, claim his agency, even if it is extremely short-lived and will never stick. So I'm about to give a big speech on the toad, and I feel like I need to make a public announcement. On this podcast, we have not necessarily been kind to toad along the way. We have uh, we've talked about how, no, oh, my God, no wonder Magneto smacks toad around. God, he's so annoying. Uh, we have easily said things that we find him very frustrating as a character in the way he's portrayed. Uh, and as I reviewed his whole history and put together some sympathetic insights, I'm like, oh, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> I'm making fun of him. But I also kind of don't feel bad because that's part of what the character is for. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means. Uh, so to introduce, we always start with kind of some psychology stuff. The fool, the court jester, the geek. In many forms of literature, there is a character off to the side who's meant to be the buffoon or the brunt of the jokes. These are generally supporting characters meant to be some sort of comic relief. These characters can take on a few different forms. Sometimes they are the sidekick to be laughed at. Think of Nick Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream or LeFou to Gaston in Beauty and the Beast or even Orko in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Uh, sometimes these characters are mentally ill. They're portrayed as a little bit pathetic or humorous. Sometimes they're there to teach us a lesson if you think of like Of Mice and Men. Uh, but Disney characters I thought of are like Hey Hey the Rooster in Moana or Dopey in Snow White and the D Seven Dwarves. Uh, lastly, these are often characters that are portrayed as grotesque, something that we are both fascinated by uh, and disgusted by. It's the freak show, right, when we go to the circus type of stuff. And we see that in like Igor with Dr. Frankenstein, Riff Raff in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, or even Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, there are a few fools in the X-Men franchise, but first and foremost has always been the Toad. Mortimer Toynbee, who was introduced in the 1960s as the henchman to Magneto, the eager to please and pathetic hopping Toad, literally wearing the outfit of a court jester, who was there to fawn over Magneto in the role of the evil Shakespearean king, and in turn to be abused by Magneto. We're meant to laugh whenever Magneto calls Toad aggravating, or he when he shouts alliterative insults, like you grotesque gargoyle, and slaps him aside. Toad is the joke. He's the comic relief. But he's also the pathetic grotesquery right from the beginning. You're meant to be annoyed with him, almost to see him as worthy of the abuse, even while you feel sorry for him at the same time. And this trend remains with him over decades of history, even though the portrayals change. He's drawn with enlarged teeth and great crazy hair and a giant wide smile. 
He crouches down to the ground menacingly or bounces around annoyingly like a child with a sugar rush. He emits grotesque resin from his hands and has a long slimy tongue. Sometimes he has green skin. He's short and slight and rarely portrayed as dangerous. Sometimes he's sympathetic due to his need to belong or his struggles with mental illness. Uh, sometimes he's pathetic, portrayed as the janitor or the mental patient. And sometimes he's shown as horrifying, a really frightening uh, guy crouching in the shadows with that evil wide smile kind of showing through. And this is mostly during his time as the leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, so kind of just beginning, let me hear thoughts from the jury on Toad cast as the fool and kind of a supplemental question here. Are there, are there other characters from literature that you find comparative? I do think Toad works extremely well as the fool. Um, and he's not hes not like the fool from Tarot, which is something that I always want to talk about. Uh, he's, he's not this innocent person out about to start a quest and learn more about himself and the world around him. He's somebody who already like kind of has been through it been through the ringer a number of times and that really lends itself to that sympathetic element that you were talking about and i, I do think that like yeah it's it is easy to find sympathy in toad because we can always recommend recognize like the hallmarks of domestic abuse and power struggles and like intense manipulation being in like a dependent toxic relationship with somebody else um that's something that really shines through the character but he's consistently written not only in like an annoying and like off-putting way but also like given these extremely gross personality traits that make him legitimately dislikable in mm -hmm. addition to his like general like air of unlikable dorkdom and like often physical grotesqueness but it's it's in such a tension with toad that it makes him compelling to me is that like he's neither one nor the other he's always kind of both at the same time and it elicits this feeling of like, I don't know, I don't want to call it revulsion, but it's a feeling of like discomfort in, I think, the reader who can see the sympathetic aspects, but is also put off by the slimy toad that he really is at the, at the same time. Yeah, he's the misfit among the misfits, which is an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, and everyone seems to pile on on him too. Like he is a misfit through and through to the point where no one has his back, even, even when the X-Men do for the short period of time, he is their janitor. He, he is re regaled to that low totem status in their world. And I just, I feel like you can't help but have sympathy for him. But at the same time, like I would do what he does for Magneto as well, because Magneto is the best. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand, I identify a little bit with that, uh, that need to want to please Magneto, who is, you know, the ultimate. But at the same time, Magneto, treats him in a way that uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't recommend you wouldn't want and so it's I think he adds an interesting dynamic to the book that just seems like everyone knows his place including himself and it just kind of piles on over years Derek so I, I like the the idea of thinking about toad as the jester who we normally associate with something humorous but I think he's not humorous because he's just not self-aware enough like he doesn't demonstrate self-awareness to the point that we would think oh he he gets it and he's showing us and giving us insight and and to anything and i think he's a he's rather a character of pathos 
And, um, you know, like his lack of self-respect, I think, is is showing that there's something about his sense of self that is not centered, you know, within him, but it's centered in the way everybody looks at him, which then makes him kind of a canvas for the way, you know, people people are are thinking of him and he just becomes what they're what the way he's treated. So it's a different kind of court jester, but still a, an effective one. Yeah, he's he's like very much like a pawn in whatever game someone needs him to play. And I feel like for me, one of the most like prevalent things that comes to my mind is the most recent thing that I've seen happen to Toad was in the newest trial of Magneto, where it was just like, well, we're just going to throw Toad in the pit because we need to have someone to blame. So it's fine. And like, as a reader, you know, you get to that point and you're like, what? What? <laughs> he wasn't even involved in this story. He doesn't have anything to do with this, but it's just easy to make him a scapegoat. So we're just going to do that because everybody knows that's what his role is. And so that's like a very apparent, like, this is what we use Toad for, just to get the dirty work done that we need to do or to just like pile all the shit on top of. Noelle? Yeah, it's hard. I um, I always read and I want to be sympathetic to Toad and I feel like I want to like him and I can't. And like for a parallel, this isn't like super highbrow or anything, but the uh, Disney Hercules, there's those two little demon dudes who are just constantly fawning over Hercules, pain and panic. And, but they, so they're bad, like they're doing bad things, but they have like these little personalities that you enjoy and these little, they say funny things. And you just don't get that with Toad where he's just, they've really made him a character that's just, he looks gross, he acts gross. And you like know that he's treated so badly, but then when you just see what he does, it's like, I just can't, I just can't find it for you. There's so much of his history that he is not treated well. People are openly abusive toward him. Magneto smacks him. Wolverine cuts off his tongue a couple times. Like, they're just, they're like, we can't be bothered with you. And then you get moments where characters will tolerate him. Husk and Wolverine during the, his time as the janitor at the Jean Grey school. Or Vision and the Scarlet Witch after they first leave the Brotherhood with him. There's like a few moments where they're kind, but the second they get frustrated, they immediately turn on him. Like, I was being so nice to you. What the fuck is your problem, Toad? Like, uh, you weren't worthy of my respect in the first place. Like, there's never been a spot for him to really belong. He always has to accept secondary status. Um, Cerebro uh, with Connor Goldsmith did a really cool episode on Toad where one of the things the uh, the guest in that episode pointed out was that Toad is part of almost every X-Men franchise. He's in the cartoons, he's in the movies, he shows up in the toy lines, but he's nobody's favorite character and he's never the feature, but he's always there. Like, what is it about this guy that we love so much to keep bringing him back? He was in the first wave ever of Marvel Legends action figures and is getting a re-release this year. Yeah, and it's a cool looking toy. Yeah. Yeah. Any ideas? What is it that uh, that people love so much about this character? Why is he always there? Well, I he's don't just know a why he's... train wreck. <laughs> I don't know why he's always there, but I will say this for Toad: a lot of what makes him unlikable is that he's the kind of he's the kind of like dork who got bullied and so became like a bully, or didn't even become a bully, like aspires to be one. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't want to be a nicer person because he was bullied. He he wants to like be Magneto. 
and I will bring this up in the prosecution, but he absolutely wants to be Magneto, but like can't, he's not that kind of person. So instead he's just shittier to anybody he thinks is like less than him, which usually ends up being young women, uh, as we'll discuss. But like, yeah, I don't know. He, I think that's part of why he is so compelling to people and that's why he keeps showing up is because like every one of us probably knows somebody like that or is somebody like that. Hmm. But to another extent, like young viewers watching Toad in like the movies also kind of like get to bully him a little bit. Like yeah. they get to laugh at this character who even the other characters think is like beyond respect or dignity. And like, I think to some extent, he's sometimes that character. Not in like X-Men Evolution, for example. X-Men Evolution is great because it looks at Toad as a character who's like worthy of like a character and of yeah. respect. Like he may not always do the right thing or be like a likable guy. In fact, he's often very unlikable, but he's also like a person that you can understand and he's not just somebody to be laughed at or dismissed. Yeah, he actually gets development in an arc in X-Men Evolution. Yep. But to your question, Chad, I think it's the fact that he was here early on and he's easy to add in because he just follows who's in charge. You know, he, he is the ultimate lackey in that you got a bad plan. I want to be a part of that team. I want to be with those people and do that thing. And I just feel like that has helped him, those two things combining and, and a unique power set. You know, how many other villains have his agility, his toad spitting the tongue? You know, even when you think of the, uh, I can't remember the era of X-Men when they had the kind of uh, animal analogs of mutants he was essentially the first one of those you know he has that presence of an animal and and just allows him to be very unique in and of himself uh right before toad moved to krakoa he was kidnapped by craven the hunter in a spider-man comic alongside a lot of other animal themed villains and literally hunted for being a toad uh, I didn't include that in today's chronology, but I think that gives us a little psychology for him as he moves to Krakoa too. Uh, Derek, go ahead. Um, so you you said why they, he keeps coming back and your question was, why do people like him? And I'm not sure people like him because he's not somebody I would want to have a beer with. He's not somebody I particularly enjoy watching on screen, like somebody who I might disagree with, but I can respect. And I think writers use him because his narrative role is so useful in that he's a character of contrasts, right? Even within the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, you've got the competent one, you've got the sort of villains with hearts of gold, you've got the megalomaniac, but, but Toad is somebody who has, he's buying all into Magneto, Magneto um, shows, you know, you can contrast him with other people. And the, in every role, he has that function where He's he's this much further down some line that makes that that his choices, what he wants to do and what he gets done, you know, reflects on other people because they make different choices and we we can see different things about those people. So I think uh, I think Toad is also highly recognizable. Uh, I'm not confident my kids could name Apocalypse. They could definitely name Mystique and the Blob and Toad. Like there's characters that are just because of their appearance uh, and because they've been around so much, I think people instantly know them. Um, we're going to talk about Toad's psychology quite a bit, but he's someone who clearly sees himself as less deserving. He does not deserve good things. He uh, like automatically takes on that secondary status. He's never the leading man or the favorite. Um, Toad does not have a lot of key relationships. The primary key relationship 
outside of maybe the Scarlet Witch and Husk are the kind of the only people we can really connect him with, but really his primary relationship is with Magneto. So let's examine that for just a minute. So Toad first appears in X-Men number four with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He's the hyper and annoying member who fawns all over the Scarlet Witch and constantly tattles to Magneto while hopping everywhere, leaving a yellow colored jump trail behind him. Uh, we learn much later that Magneto rescued Toad in Manchester, England from a group of human bullies, saving Toad's life and then keeping Toad's loyalty. Magneto strikes Toad constantly while he's on the team and calls him names and Toad immediately will beg his master for forgiveness and take responsibility for the abuse. Toad wears a metal belt so that Magneto can abuse him more easily. Magneto and Toad were briefly stranded on the stranger's planet together, and Magneto left Toad behind the first time he escaped, only bringing him with him reluctantly the second time. After a series of escalating abuses in 1958, Toad betrays Magneto in that Avengers number 53 story we referenced, turning against him in a key moment, uh, so ensuring Magneto will lose a battle with the X-Men and Avengers, and he leaves him behind. Then Toad spends the next 50 years of continuity away from Magneto, for the most part. We get lots of flashbacks to the early Brotherhood days. He was later, uh, excuse me, he was, during that time, he was at Magneto's side when Magneto rushed into the United Nations and demanded that mutants be given their own country. But years later, when Magneto formed the nation of Avalon, the floating space station, Toad was deemed unfit to dwell there. Magneto then formed Genosha and was seemingly killed there, and Toad rushed to Genosha to honor his former master in this mutant country. In his most recent appearances, Toad has moved to Krakoa, where Magneto's been in the leadership of the Quiet Council, and Toad took the fall for a murder he didn't commit just because Magneto asked him to, and then he was sentenced to the pit or the exiled jail underneath the island as a result. Let me give a couple of uh, in-book quotes. In X-Men Legacy number 265, Christos Gage has Toad opening up to Rogue about his relationship with Magneto. He says, and I quote, he used to insult me, hit me, order me around like a slave, but I never felt so safe in my life as when I was with him. He has that quality. You know the one I mean that makes you feel everything's taken care of. Even when I left him, when I was leading the Brotherhood on my own, it was all an act. Inside, I was a nervous wreck. I knew I'd fail. I knew without him, I was nothing. If I thought for a second he'd take me back, I'd run to him right now. Secondarily, in X-Men Unlimited number two from volume one, Fabian Nicieza writes a story where Toad is doing an interview with a man named Adrian Eiskalt about Magneto. Toad says, oh yes, of course I was frightened of him, Mr. Eiskalt. Eiskalt says, did he hit you, Mr. Toynbee? Did he abuse you? Oh, constantly, constantly. So why did you stay with him for so long? I was younger then. You have to understand he had a way of keeping you under his control and not just through the threat of physical punishment either. How else? Through sheer force of will, Mr. Eiskalt. He believed so strongly in himself, in his goals, in his methods, that no matter how ludicrous some of them sounded, you actually believed he would accomplish them. How did Hitler rally his country around him? Through the incredible allure of his confidence. Magneto was much the same way in that, in that regard. For all his bluster, for all his ill-tempered treatment of myself and my comrades, we stayed with him because he made us believe what he strongly believed himself that he was superior to us all. And by staying with him, we were ensuring our place alongside greatness. And for as much as I hate him, to this day, I still believe he may have been right. Lastly, in Professor X and the X-Men number 15, which is a flashback to the early 60s books told from a 90s perspective, Magneto has thought bubbles that say, 
The toad is merely a pathetic little ogre whose stupidity I find nothing short of pitiful. If not for his innate agility, he would be useless to me. What are some of your thoughts on Toad's relationship with Magneto? And we want to recognize very quickly, pre-Claremont Magneto was a dick. <laughs> he was a screamy, yelly, abusive guy. He was reverted to a baby and then relaunched into adulthood. And he seems to have a completely different personality once Claremont takes over. So it's okay to find 60s Magneto a dick and still think that current Magneto is great. <laughs> but whatever you choose is fine. What are your thoughts on this relationship? Oh, you know, I love that. Oh, you go ahead, Derek. Oh, I was just going to say, um, the question of why is Toad in it, like, I, I, it's like he's in a cult, and it's like he needs some place to belong. And I wonder how much empathy he has. Like, does he even understand why other people do things? Does he understand why he does things? Um, the I found it really telling in the the quote you just did that, you know, he's using somebody else's self-confidence to just you know, I'm going to use this and this is it, you know, this is going to prop me up sort of thing, but without that much intention, without that sort of conscious thought. And, and uh, again, I come back to this whole question of self-awareness and I wonder if he really even understands what will make him happy. And, and in the meantime, he's just grasping and flailing and, and Magneto does seem to, to make him happy in some way. Like Magneto gives him a purpose. In, in however toxic the relationship is, which it's very much so, he has, in the same way that, that quote, he has a vision, he has a goal, he has a plan, and Toad is willing to just jump on and join in, regardless of how terrible Magneto treats him. And it's, it's all sorts of toxic in that relationship, but at the same time, Toad doesn't feel that because he has a purpose that he would not be able to find otherwise. Even when he's trying to find that purpose, he's emulating the abuser. He, he's trying to be the guy that was so terrible to him beforehand to just find that same amount of confidence. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't. I was just going to say, when he leads the Brotherhood later, right. he's trying to right. be his own version of Magneto. Go ahead, Alicia. Yeah. yeah, he just doesn't have his own identity. Like, he doesn't know who he is. So he looks to others to sort of tell him who he is and to encourage his self worth. Yeah. And Magneto is is basically has such a strong platform of who mutants are and who they should be and how they should be viewed that he just latches onto that and says like, okay, this is how I, this is how I find my self-worth. This is how I figure out who I am. I just do what Magneto tells me because otherwise I'm just a failure on my own. So he just latches onto the identity that someone else gives him, no matter really what relationship he's in he needs that to sort of be his motivation to go forward. I think there are escalating levels of potential here. Let me let me describe this briefly. Three that come to mind. Number one, Toad has been attacked by humans. He cannot survive in a human world and he needs a mutant group to survive with. You know Xavier is not going to take him. In fact, there's probably some story that will be told someday about how Xavier chose not to bring Toad into the X-Men, but we haven't seen that specifically but he needed survival. And in order to survive, he joined himself with this group and saw the abuse as worth it. That's one option. A second option, which seems a lot more likely is Toad is the abuse victim, right? Speaking as a therapist for a moment, we see lots of people who are abused and while they are in the relationship, believe themselves worthy of that abuse. Because of the signs and symptoms of someone who is a batterer or who is abusive or a bully, 
we have these whole psychological methods of meant to keep you in your place, meant to believe that you were worthy of what you were being put through. And not only that, but you're responsible for it. And 60s Magneto is a fucking asshole. <laughs> He's a terrible guy, right? Or what Derek referenced a moment ago, we can escalate it even farther and look at this almost as like a cult level of belief. Magneto saying, you have to believe in this way. I'm the only one who matters here. I'm superior to you. My needs transcend everything else. I am mutant kind. I am the Messiah. And told believing in Magneto to such a way that he has allowed himself to be completely brainwashed or indoctrinated. There's kind of different ways of kind of viewing that. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's uh, really a combination of all three, but especially the latter two. Because um, Magneto... As much as I love Magneto, as much as Magneto is one of my favorite characters, Magneto in the 60s and also Magneto during the Morrison era uh, is not my favorite Magneto. He's uh, He is exactly a cult leader. and But the difference between him and a lot of cults is that he's for real. You know, like he has the power to do what he says he's going to do. And he really means every word that he says, whether or not he succeeds in his plans. And... I can only imagine being a member of an extremely marginalized group that is hunted to near extinction and then meeting a man like Magneto. Because if you were susceptible to falling into a cult, if you had problems with your own self-esteem or self-identity um, already, and especially if you were somebody who has been a repeated victim of abuse in the specific way that Magneto has with Toad, where you know, you just feel like, yeah, it was abuse and yeah, it was terrible, but I, I know that I don't feel myself to be independent. And if I could go back to that, I'd go back in a heartbeat because I'd have all these other things that I don't have now. And then to meet Magneto, to meet that man who can accomplish what he says he's going to do like that, I would it would be hard not to get swept up in that. And it's he has a frightening potential for that. And Toad is just his first and easiest victim in that way. Sure. Toad, I think there's an interesting contrast with someone like the Blob, who like accepts himself for who he is. He values his own powers, um, where Toad sort of accepts others people, other people's view of him, and like that he's gross and that he's weird and like his personality, he's just annoying. But he he seems to accept that like outside valuation of him as a person. And it's interesting to me that he wants to align himself with other mutants who aren't necessarily like him, um, who can pass as human. They're physically good looking and all of these different things. Whereas he doesn't go to the Morlocks who probably would have more understanding of what his life is like. Um, and so it leaves him a loner because he doesn't really fit in with the people that he's trying to fit in with. And I think he probably looks down on people, other mutants who are more like him. Derek. I, I, I really like this real deal conversation about Magneto. Um, and apologies if I keep calling him Magneto. When I was a kid at 10 years old, I first saw it and I'm like, Magnet? Magneto? Or, you know, it was, I didn't every, get it right. But every anyway. time you say Magneto, a little part of me goes, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the 10-year-old me trying to pronounce things that nobody else has ever read. So, <laughs> But Magnet, Magneto is impressive. He's, he like, he, issue one of X-Men, he goes into Cape Citadel. He, you know, beats the army me he's only driven away by the x-men not really defeated and um toad is disaffected and and i'm looking at all of this as as almost being a process of radicalization right like toad is this disaffected person you've got this terrorist come up he's like this is what we ought to do because 
everybody's mistreating us and we don't deserve it and you, we are great we are superior and join my mission but do what i say and so there's this process of radicalization i think that parallels a lot of things that we're seeing in the last couple of decades in the world and uh yeah it, th that's the first time i've like this conversation is making me look at that relationship in those terms now we are somewhat acculturated as readers to see toad as worthy of the abuse because he's annoying but let me flip it on you for just a second. What if Toad was a, a woman, a female character drawn grotesquely and Magneto's constantly shouting names and striking her across the face and throwing her across the room? We would have a very different visceral reaction to the treatment of this character. So when you view Toad as the mentally ill character, there's a piece of us that, and, I, and again, I've been guilty of this on the podcast. We laugh and we're like, ha ha, Toad deserved it. God, he's so annoying. But then when I read it and put this context to it, I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, what I said earlier, like I'm part of the problem. I'm recognizing the level. Now we want to have comics be a place of escape. We're applying very weird like world issues onto all of this as we talk about cults and abuse. But I do think it's part of the story that we're telling uh, as well. Any thoughts on that before I move forward with kind of Toad's psychology? Well, it's very much- really uh, Let's go Alicia and then Steve. Thank you. It's Alicia. very much like a person who's being held captive and then they start to fall in love with their captor Stop you know it's it's like i and it's similar to chad what you were saying earlier about the the person who's in an abusive relationship and that it's not only just that they like don't know or or think that they're worthy of that abuse or they're deserving of that abuse but they also just have this idea in their mind that the person who is their abuser is so wonderful that they didn't mean it or that they, it came from a place of love or um it's just this like skewed vi vision of what that person is and so they can't see that as wrong and so even though on the outside we should see it as wrong we we too like maybe not 60s magneto but like magneto in general a lot of people love magneto myself included and so you you brush those things off as like oh it's okay because it's magneto and we love him so like we also are are in that same position as toad where we're seeing this person and we're like excusing the things that they're doing because we hold them in such high regard as a character yeah and then steve yeah i i think i think that's super interesting um both what Alicia just said and when you brought up the idea of like, what if Toad was female? Because I got me thinking about it, right? Um, if I saw a character who was femme presenting, who was exactly Toad, like pretty much down to the nail, would I find this character as irritating uh, or would I be more sympathetic to them? I think I'd be more sympathetic generally because I think that it would come off as an extremely mis misogynistic portrayal of a woman stuck in this this horrible slavery to somebody else to this man who abuses her constantly and i immediately wanted to see her freed and i think i think we're often trained to not look the same way at male characters or masculine presenting characters uh in abuse situations and i know that that's true in real life um yeah. and i think that that carries over to our comics reading experience i think it certainly did for me a little bit although i will say in the defense of some people who don't like toad a lot of what personally irritates me about toad is not the cringy syncophantism but it is definitely the like lascivious attitude towards the women in his life yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not to say that that couldn't also be a part of a female equivalent of toad in a comic and it would still complicate the matter further 
we're seeing a lot of stories on Krakoa of characters being given a chance to overcome their trauma and move on. And I would love that story for Toad. And I would love that story for Blob, that redemptive arc we talked about in our last trial. Uh, so let's talk a little about Toad. Toad, years into his continuity, is given a touch of an origin story, not much. In X-Men Forever, we see that he... Uh, his name is Mortimer Toynbee. He was gathered alongside dozens of other mutant babies and experimented on at Alamogordo by the Black Womb, Amanda Mueller, uh, who was affiliated with Mr. Sinister. It seems that these experiments have caused his mutation to go awry. We don't necessarily know what that means, but we see him demonstrating new powers every few years. And that may be due to something that happened to him as a child. We also very briefly in X-Men Volume 2, number 106, when the High Evolutionary takes mutant powers away from everyone on the planet, Toad looks like a really good-looking, like, Tiger Beat magazine guy in a jester suit. And he's like, oh, look how handsome I am. And then, of course, his powers come back, which is an interesting thing to consider. That's basically all we know. It's kind of hinted that his birth parents gave him up. Uh, we know he grew up in an orphanage. Uh, he worked in fast food restaurants. He developed the mutant power of hopping sometime and some humans attacked him in Manchester, England, which is when Magneto saved him and brought him into the Brotherhood. He started dressing like a court jester. He took the name Toad and he grew obsessed with earning Magneto's favor, going along with any mission. He was constantly ridiculed, ignored, or even physically assaulted. And the X-Men certainly didn't treat him much better. Uh, he was the Toad, which is clearly not a subtle, not so subtle a reference to the fact that he is a toady, a layman's term for sycophant, but literally his powers are toad-like in that he jumps, right? And later they add all the resin and the tongue and everything else. Uh, toad power, toad's powers are ever shifting. After leaving Magneto, he spent his ne next decades of appearances constantly shifting personalities, appearances, powers, and motivations. And I'm going to cover this briefly. We'll talk more about these phases during the trial. First, he's the short-sighted, re revenge-driven madman who uses the technology of the Stranger and Archon and, and Arcade to go after his enemies. Then he's the suicidal, pathetic villain, desperate for Spider-Man's friendship. He gets to run an amusement park for a little while, which is called Toadland. And in X-Men Forever, he says that's one of the few times he was ever happy. Yeah. He's the master manipulator then. He's orchestrating events from behind the scenes with Gideon during the Kings of Pain storyline. Then we see him as the bloodthirsty, ineffective leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, murdering a woman in cold blood, and then basically failing at every other job he tries after that. Uh, he's the mentally ill green man, obsessed with frogs in an institution in Generation X. And then he is the tall, attractive fighter, based on the movie version played by Ray Park, with the long prehensile tongue, and he enters himself into blood sport competitions. After that, he's back to being the green-skinned, pathetic, love-struck janitor at the Jean Grey school. Then he's the extra member on a lot of different bad guy teams. He's smacked around by the heroes, pretty easily defeated every time. And then finally, we see him as the insane drunk who's obsessed with murderous thoughts. So every few years, we seem to get a new Toad. In Fabian Nicieza's X-Men Forever run, which is kind of the only place Toad's ever been given much character or history or respect, he's a feature character there. We learn that if Toad uses Ritalin, he can stabilize his ever-changing physical and psychological transformations, but this has literally never been brought up again. His powers are constantly changing. Initially, he's super agile, and he's an incredible jumper. Later, he gets sticky and or poisonous resin that can be excreted from his hands and mouth. Uh, then he's got an extremely long tongue that can seemingly grow back pretty quickly after it's cut off. And also sometimes it can start on fire. 
And in one appearance only, he has the ability to fill his cheeks with air and blow his opponents away with a gust of wind. So although he has a long history uh, and ever-changing powers, tell me some of your thoughts about his powers, motivation, and the constant changes he's constantly going through. I've always loved that about him, the fact that his powers seemingly evolve year over year, and he just, it makes it, it makes sense. The things that become part of what he can do make sense in that analog to a physical toad, because you're just diving deeper into what else can a toad or a frog or some amphibious creature do that you can attribute to this character. And I just, I always love, like, I'm a big fan of secondary mutations, big fan of, of characters that get to reinvent themselves in some way and, and get a new life. And even though it's very limited to his power set and not really to his characterization, I've always been interested in the fact that we're always adding in new elements to his overall package. What you just said just made me so excited to say this next thing. And I'm sorry, I have to just jump in and say it really quick. I know Derek's ready, but I... I got to say it. Um, as we've seen in Jurassic Park, <laughs> some tree frogs have the ability to change their DNA to adapt to their situations. So that makes sense for yeah. Toad being a toad. He's constantly changing his abilities to adapt to what he needs to be a supervillain for. And so if that means one time he can blow his opponents away then one time you can blow his opponents away but i also think it's an interesting parallel to the idea that he is still searching for his own identity and who he really is and so his powers sort of echo that and they're changing to sort of help him figure out who he is and and to help whoever he's working with too. right because is it really right. driven by what he wants or, or is, is it, it by what the situation need? and what's needed mm, yeah okay sorry derek alicia you're no prizes in the mail <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that um, when you think about the power set and the body changing every so often, and already the character we're dealing with doesn't have a very strong sense of self and absorbs it from others, I wonder if that's even a contributing factor to his relationship with Magneto and others that like, if you like, at the very basic level i mean we wake up in the morning and this is our body and we trust that this is our body and it's not going to change on us or do any weird things and it's it's not like he can even go up and to somebody else who has these mutations and the person can say oh don't worry sometimes you know you're gonna have fur in places you didn't have fur before right um there's nobody to do that for the toad's new mutations and so if if he can't even be sure what his physical body is going to be like um, from year to year, that's got to be mentally destabilizing as well and emotionally destabilizing too. So I'd, I'd never considered it before you brought that up, Chad. But I mean, within the context of this conversation, pieces are starting to click that, you know, there's there's more to his sort of emotional needs than, than maybe we were thinking of. Any other thoughts? I love this idea that identity is so explicitly tied to Toad's shifting powers. I think that's really interesting because he's always a different Toad and he always has different powers. I've always thought of it as Toad is sort of like the Superman of X-Men comics. Uh, bear with me. It's because Superman's powers are just whatever the plot needs them to be on a given day as long as they're super. And Toads are like that as long as they're Toad-like, you know. But 
I mean, it's not always true. Sometimes there's fire involved, you know? So like, I really like this idea that Toad's power shifting has something to do with his constant search for a sense of identity. And I love that you brought up as you know the the joke of the fur growing in weird places but like it reminded me of beast beast is a person who has gone through some severe um mood swings and behavior uh in recent years and a lot of it started around the time he started worrying about his physical appearance changing outside of his control and when you think about the beast struggling with that emotionally and intellectually and physically constantly over the years and it leading him to worse and worse places over time, beast is a guy who's like pretty good looking, you know, like generally considered handsome in universe. Um, and toad just keeps turning into with one exception, things that look less and less baseline human more and more interestingly mutant, but in a way that other mutants, even seem to find off-putting sometimes, you know? I would love to see a modern writer do a Toad story in which he takes responsibility for his own destiny, his own mental health. He puts on a non-court jester-like looking suit and he decides to become a hero and he changes his name to Dart Frog and starts training in the danger room and like kicking ass. I mean, something, right? Like, I think I think there's a version oh, yeah. of him that we're waiting to discover under the right writer, kind of like what we were talking with the blob last time. Like, if the right writer comes along, we care about these characters in a very different way. Uh, but Blob and Toad both have been around right from the beginning. Uh, the only the only villain who predates them, uh, besides Magneto, is the Vanisher, who's a character that's never really been touched very much. We don't know the Vanisher, but we know Blob. We know Toad. We're just waiting for someone to do something with them. Uh, any final thoughts before we jump into the trial? I love these discussions. They put me in like a particular mindset as I kind of gather all the data and hear your insights and uh, it like changes my energy. I love it. Uh, what, what other thoughts do you guys have? Uh, it, it's, it's two things. One, it's a dumb thing. It, uh, it's it's off of the the point about about the fire and and the there's a drink called the flaming toad and I wonder if that is why you know and then I'm also thinking about you know uh, just how frogs evolve and if that's part of that but also I, I'm kind of stuck on the point and I was thinking about it before when we were talking about his his destiny and where, and where he was going and just, and then Noel brought it up of just if Toad had been found by the Morlocks what would his journey have been and and would he have accepted them in some way. Or, or would he reject them as as less than, or, or would he see them in the same way that he has been treated otherwise? And I yeah, just feel yeah. like that. I, I feel like in the tunnels, in the sewers, he might be seen as someone that has this extra strength and ability, and mm. and just has this this home and this place that he's never found otherwise. Um, yeah, Toad would make a killer Morlock. Say again, yeah. see. Toad would make a killer Morlock. He'd be really yeah. good. He could be like a hero to them in the way that Spider-Man is to like parts of New York. There's an interesting thing. I'll give a quick comment on this. Uh, there are likely characters in the comics that could be diagnosed with significant mental illnesses, right? Yeah. Processing disorders, attachment disorders, neurodivergent disorders, etc. But oftentimes we see characters that are just different because of their mutation. Like when we did the Quicksilver trial, his brain moves faster than everybody else. And that's why he's such an asshole, right? Uh, Toad maybe just sees the world very differently and comes across very differently. He's never been diagnosed with any sort of uh, direct mental illness that we're aware of, although ADHD is certainly part of it. <laughs> but I want to assume for the purpose of today's trial that he is mentally competent 
and is the way he is either due to his mutation or due to the abuse he suffered by the hands of other people, which is an interesting thing. And we can have more conversations around that. But I think uh, there's a difference between somebody complicit with their own terrible choices or somebody who's actually mentally ill uh, and, and has some significant struggles and is not medicated. I mean, we had Ritalin being used by Nicieza as the thing that stabilized Toad's mutation, which is used to calm down ADHD or hyperactivity impulses primarily. Uh, so it's an interesting thought. If he is, uh, there's certainly a lot of examples of antisocial and narcissistic personality disorder in the comics, but Toad is potentially a character that could be diagnosed with a much more significant uh, mental illness or processing disorder. Um, so interesting place to take it. Any thoughts on that? I definitely try to think of Toad as always like cognizant of his actions and somebody who makes choices based on what he really thinks he should do. I, I definitely am going to be looking at him during this trial as responsible for everything he does, uh, although mitigating factors for sympathy and cuteness as it will vary. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when I was reading, I kind of went back and forth on that, like, Toad, is this mental illness, or is this just we're seeing, like, an extreme result of abuse? And I think, you know, that can exist with mental illness, or it can be its own thing. I don't know how they really add up with Toad or what fits where, but I feel like I kind of looked at him as more of a victim of abuse and how that has shaped his personality and shaped how he views the world and himself. Um, but yeah, the, the definitely the ADHD thing feels like it fits for him. I liked your description of him being a, a kid on a sugar rush because it's totally how he is, especially early on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is worthy of a much longer conversation, but one great example of this is the character Aurora from Alpha Flight, who's now part of the Marauders and was just part of X-Factor, right? She's a character that has so frequently been uh, portrayed as struggling with either borderline personality disorder, which is now called dissociative identity disorder. And it's uh, it's always the sweet side and the dark side. And like, if you read most of her history, it's that, uh, that interchange. We're seeing a portrayal of this character as a hero now who is not struggling with mental illness. And it's it's a very different type of story being told with her. Uh, so we haven't had that story about Toad, if it is something, but even then, I still want to see that redemptive arc where he is allowed to shine and rise above anyway. Uh, Derek, go ahead. Just on the question you posed about like him and responsibility and stuff, I think there's a, there's a tension between us holding him responsible and the way he seems to either willingly or unwillingly give up his agency, because so much of his character is built around ceding unto others his agency and then he enthusiastically becomes whatever they need him or want him to be even if that later on turns into something that they punish him for so um it, it I'm, I'm not coming on on coming down on any side i'm just saying that it's an interesting question to when somebody is giving away that much agency as a central part of who they are based on their place in the world or where they've come from. Yeah. So is everybody comfortable for the purpose of today's trial? We're going to assume that Toad has some major PTSD. He's probably got some ADHD. Uh, and he very likely sees the world from a very different place based on his mutation. But are we all okay with ruling him mentally competent moving forward with today's trial? 
because I feel like uh, I feel like that needed to be addressed right at the start because this is a character who is so frequently, and I hate to use the word, but portrayed as pathetic, right? Uh, so, any questions or clarifying points before we begin the trial portion? I love that I can get nerdy and laugh about fourth grade and sixth grade jokes on this podcast, but also have these like very stimulating intellectual discussions about <laughs> drama and impact uh, here as well. So thank you all for being here with me. Okay, so Toad, uh, Toad has a long history. We're not covering it comprehensively here. As with our other trials, we have chosen five sections of his history and we will be putting him on trial in those spaces with a vote after each one. Our jury has been asked to prepare a prosecution and a defense in different areas. And after each section, we will be voting from one through five, each of us in the jury, on how uh, how culpable Toad is in his own sec uh, is in his own quote unquote evil actions as we move through this. So as we are voting, if our listeners want to vote along with us, if we vote one, which is the lowest, we're uh, determining that to be a justifiable action in that section. Two, we're calling morally concerning. Three, definitely inappropriate. Four, over the line into criminal behavior. And five, pure evil. Uh, so the higher the number, the more culpable you find him in a given section. We'll take an overall percentage at the end. Okay, so in section one, we're calling this lackey. Uh, prosecution will be Derek, uh, Noel on defense. As a member of Brother uh, Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Toad regularly flirted with the Scarlet Witch and was constantly beat up and insulted by Magneto. Alongside the Brotherhood, Toad participated in a series of crimes, including the invasion of the country of Santo Marco, attempting to recruit Namor the Submariner and the Blob to the Brotherhood. Uh, and notably, Toad was given a small solo adventure in which he was sent to lure the X-Men into a trap, posing as a human track star in order to lure them back to the space station to be taken captive. In time, Toad and Magneto were captured by the stranger. They eventually got back to Earth and they immediately led an attack on the Avengers and the United Nations in order to recruit Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch back to the team. At this point, at the end of this storyline, weary of Magneto's abuse, Toad finally stood up against Magneto and chose to uh, strike out on his own alongside Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Uh, these stories take place in X-Men Volume 1, 4 through 7 and 11, Avengers Volume 1, 47 through 49, and then Avengers 53 and X-Men 43 through 45. So kind of summing that up all together. Let's turn it over to Derek for the prosecution. Yes, thank you. So in Canada, I believe the prosecutors are called crown attorneys. And so that's uh, the term we'll use. And also it occurred to me that since I'm calling from Canada, uh, our pronunciation may be different. So Magneto is uh, legit. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, the crown will establish beyond a doubt four things about Mortimer Toynbee. The first is he belongs to a terrorist organization. Second, he's a terrorist himself. Third, he has attempted murder and mass murder. And fourth, he has committed fashion crimes against humanity. <laughs> Get to, be to begin, Mortimer's association with the terrorism began uh, with his joining of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, led by Magneto, as he overthrew the elected government of San Marco and fired artillery near civilians. Toynbee eagerly and enthusiastically supported and encouraged Magneto's philosophy, which was, I quote, it is necessary to plant fear. Humans are like sheep. They respond to certain stimuli and fear is one of the most potent. There is no better definition of terrorism than what Magneto says about his own goals right there. And Toynbee is a part of this. Um, 
Second, we have Toynbee's own words to define his association to Magneto's uh, terrorist aims. And again, I quote, no one is more proud to serve Magneto. And to be clear, Magneto's plans included the detonation of a nuclear device in the capital city of San Marco. So Mr. Toynbee was fully on board with that. On the topic of mass murder uh, and, uh, sorry, attempted murder and attempted mass murder, the defense counsel may try to deflect responsibility for Toynbee's actions uh, in terms of his subordinate relationship to Magneto. But I wish to make clear that not only is Toynbee gleefully informed and consenting as an author of his own actions, but he's quick to turn on Magneto as soon as it suits him. So with the X-Men in captivity bound by Mr. Toynbee's own hands, I would like to remind the jury, it was Toynbee who said, the X-Men are your enemies. You must kill them now. He was telling this to his boss. He also clearly stated, you need to, but give me the signal and I, your most loyal servant, will do away with them forever. Uh, Mr. Toynbee's independent motives are intention and intentions are very clear. And not long after, when the X-Men had freed themselves and the Avengers had arrived, uh, Toynbee set in place the plans his leader had refused to condone in this incident. Toynbee set an explosive device to detonate to kill everyone on the island, his own allies, his own boss, plus the X-Men. And when Magneto, clinging to the doorway of their escape plane, seeking to escape with his teammate, Toynbee stamped on Magneto's fingers, sending him hurtling to the jagged rocks below and into what he knew was going to be a deadly explosion. So those are pieces of evidence for attempted mass murder and attempted murder. The Crown was going to add Toynbee's kidnapping of the angel to the charges, but were opting instead to include the charge of fashion crime against humanity. Images of the jester costume made by San Marco sweatshops from all polyester 1960s sofa cushions has been submitted in evidence. And he clearly has not washed this costume in years. <laughs> Prosecution rests. Beautiful, the crown stands. Uh, and I will be transparent, uh, Noel. I feel I can challenge you. I know you're very pro Magneto, which is why I gave you the defense in this section. <laughs> uh, please proceed. I will. First of all, I would like to state that the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is um, working for the betterment of an oppressed group. Um, I would call them more revolutionaries than terrorists, um, but terrorists is usually the label that governments like to place on revolutionaries who have been forced to resort to violence. So, quick note on that. Um, but Toad, individually, his culpability in the Brotherhood's actions is negligent at best. He is a victim, not a perpetrator. He is desperate for belonging. He is blinded by Magneto. He's, you know, we've been discussing this cult relationship. He is a true believer in the cult of Magneto. Um, so there is an element of brainwashing going on. Um, he's also not thinking up the plans. Um, Toad is not the brains of the operation by any stretch of the imagination. He is following his cult leader, Magneto who has trapped him in an extremely abusive relationship. Um, I am willing to, despite my pro-Magneto stance, admit that Magneto treats Toad horrendously. And because of the nature of this abusive relationship, I do not think we can hold Toad responsible for these crimes. They are Magneto's crimes. Um, because I was 
I was reading articles about abusive relationships and the dynamics. And one of the things that I was reading is that there's insecurity on both sides for both the abuser and the victim. Magneto, despite his uh, bluster, is extremely insecure. He wants to take over the world. He's been stopped by the X-Men already. Um, you know, it's not really going great for him. And taking that out on Toad is giving him a sense of control. Whereas Toad, his insecurity is easy to see. He wants to belong and he is willing to accept Magneto's abuse in order to keep that belonging. Um, Toad's allies, Magneto, everyone else in the Brotherhood, they call him the gargoyle, they call him brainless, a freak, and just disparage him at every possible turn. But this is all the belonging that Toad can find. Where else is he gonna go? Um, you know, it's been mentioned before, the X-Men are probably not going to be the ones to take him in. He really does not fit the vibe going on over there at the X-Men. Um, so ultimately, I do not think we can hold Toad responsible for the crimes of the Brotherhood. Most of the time, he is there as a cheerleader. Um, this whole concept that the prosecution presented of consenting, do you count a cult member who is brainwashed as consenting? Like, he is part of a cult. He is a victim of abuse, and you cannot hold him responsible for the actions of the Brotherhood at this time. I have a clarifying question for Noel. Is Toad an active participant in a revolutionary cause, willing to do difficult things for greater mutant good, or is he the abuse victim forced to participate in crimes? I feel like you made both arguments, and I don't think you can have both. I'm saying that the Brotherhood is not a terrorist organization. It is a revolutionary cause. And Toad is brainwashed into what the leader of that cause is doing, Magneto. Mm, okay, so, fair. Yeah. Uh, so let's turn it over to comments, questions, clarifying points from the jury before we vote in this section. What are your thoughts or what do you need to know? We good to vote? Yeah, valid arguments on all fronts. Brilliant on both sides, frankly. Uh, let's hear from Steve first. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, you're still on mute, Steve. Oh, am I still on mute? There you go. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, hmm. This is very difficult because I have to choose between two numbers, but I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call Toad's actions justifiable. All, all those. <laughs> All the silver age, it was just file. That's a one for me. Okay. Uh, Alicia? Yeah. I'm very close to two, though. All right. So here's the thing. I really feel like I can't vote too high on the spectrum. Otherwise, my credibility in the next argument will be diminished. <laughs> um, however, however. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Ever. Derek makes a valid point about fashion crimes, and that really like is shifting my the balance for me. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go two on this one. 
I'm going to okay. go two on this one. Not going full one, but I'm going two because that outfit needs to get out of life. Justin. I think it's a three for me. It's inappropriate in just how the way he accepts this view and just keeps on going with it. You know, to call him a cheerleader for Magneto's cause, but also recognize that Magneto's cause is death to humans. Uh, that That is... Uh, definitely inappropriate. Sure, he's not the one killing the humans, but he's edgy, you know, yeah, humans dying. I am going to vote one in this section for two primary reasons. Number one, San Marco, uh, the country that they invaded, I didn't cover this in the notes, but it was putting out policies against mutants and their attempt to save mutants by making a bold statement, I think is kind of revolutionary. Uh, we don't know that anyone died, even though there was an attempt to set off a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Second, I think most of the fights with the X-Men are the Brotherhood defending themselves. Uh, it's a war between the two groups. I can't hold uh, Toad any more accountable than I would hold Iceman, I feel like, in this in this section at least. So it's a one for me. Uh, Noelle. I'm going to go one. Um, I'm going to be much harder on Toad the rest of the time, but I think he's just brainwashed. And then Derek. Yeah, that nuclear device kind of puts it over the edge for me. If it hadn't been for Pietro, you know, there'd be a whole lot of dead people. So uh, I'm going to go for a four. Okay, which gives us a total of uh, 12 out of 30 in this section. Uh, in section two, which we call Rebel, uh, we have Noel on prosecution and Alicia on defense. Uh, using the technology of the Stranger and Archon the Magnificent, Toad tries to woo Wanda the Scarlet Witch, but he's furious to learn that she is married to the Vision. Uh, so initially he poses as the Stranger and attacks the Avengers in his hangar, badly wounding the Wasp, which he is soundly defeated for later. Uh, later, Toad borrowed money from Doctor Doom and set up a series of elaborate death traps, luring the Thing and Angel into these traps before he was defeated. Uh, he's then surprised as Angel takes pity on Toad and funds his uh, his transformation of this death trap castle into an amusement park, which gets called Toadland. Despite this, uh, Toad quickly grows suicidal and attempts suicide, but he's saved by Spider-Man. He's later he he's desperate for Spider-Man's attention, wants to be his friend and sidekick, so he sets up a really dangerous situation with criminals to show Spider-Man how great he is, but. His lies were exposed, and then he briefly teamed them up with some other nonsense spider characters. <laughs> it's not really a part of his story. Later, Toad heard that Wanda was pregnant, and he attacked Wanda and the Vision uh, with robots of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and then later with his own massive suit of Toad armor. He calls himself the Terrible Toad King. Uh, but when he finally got Wanda alone, he saw her pregnant and was disgusted and chose to leave. Or behind uh, <laughs> in a bizarre and iconic Steve Englehart story. Uh, this uh, this section covers Avengers Volume 1, 137 through 139, Marvel 2 and 1, number 68, Amazing Spider-Man, number 266, and then finally Vision and the Scarlet Witch, Volume 2, numbers 6, 7, and 11. Uh, let's go to Noel for the prosecution. This is going to be a hard right turn for me, guys. Um, <laughs> totally on board with the prosecution here. Um, but Toad at this point is fully in control of his choices and agency after leaving Magneto. 
And the only way I could think to describe Toad at this time is that he is a violent incel. All of his actions stem from his belief that he deserves Wanda because he has feelings for her. He mistakes her previous kindness as there being some chance of romantic involvement, but Wanda never wanted or expressed that. So when he learns that Wanda has married Vision, this sets Toad off on a violent rampage against Wanda, her husband, and her allies. And he actively and intentionally plots and puts together a plan to attack and kill Wanda and the Avengers. Um, Toad does have a significant amount of unresolved trauma from his time in the Brotherhood and with Magneto, but I do not believe that this excuses his actions. His responsibility is to deal with that trauma and not take it out on literally everyone else. Um, fortunately, in the story with Angel and um, the Thing, they're able to get away from the attack on their lives um, because of Toad's lack of resolve to follow through in committing murder. But attempted murder is still a crime. Um, the influence of Spider-Man gives Toad a chance to get things on the right track. Um, he even does get some mental health help, but he is right back on his bullshit. He it goes after Wanda again after finding out she's pregnant, and all of his behavior is just rank misogyny. Uh, he still thinks that the Scarlet Witch belongs to him, even though she is married now and wants to live her life with Vision. Um, he has zero regard for what her opinions are of the situation. And then his treatment of her for being pregnant is like one of the grossest things ever. He repeatedly, repeatedly calls her huge. And he asks, I had to write this down, where the, quote, precious flower of maidenhood went that he knew from before. Like, ugh, it was so gross, unexcusable. Um, and it just reflects the type of violent incel thinking that he has gone down. Um, and then at the end, one more thing, when Spider-Man confronts him, he's like, you're being a piece of shit. Toad doesn't take that advice. He just pieces out, vanishes, no apologies, no reflection, no nothing, no, no nothing. So um, yeah, I don't think Toad deserves any excuses here. I love you, Alicia, but uh, sorry, I had to come down hard on Toad for this one. Okay. And then uh, Alicia for the defense. I understand, Noel. Okay, I get it. But I just want to just go right back to the beginning of your point really quick and just talk about how all of this spirals because he left Magneto when, in fact, Magneto left him. So <laughs> let's just be clear on this situation. Toad did not choose to leave Magneto. And all of this really stems from Toad's inability to understand relationships and to understand love. And so I'm not arguing that any of these things are not crimes. Um, we all know that everything Toad does is a crime, basically. Just every thought he has is a criminal thought. What we're really trying to talk about is like how severe these things are. And I just really want to talk about the motivation behind them. That's what I want to focus on. What's, what is Toad's motivation in all of this? And I think his motivation in every single one of these stories is to be accepted and loved. And he just doesn't understand socially how to do that the right way. Um, you know, he's, he's left by Magneto and he, he needs to, you know, get his way back. And like, what gets him through that journey? What is he pushing for? Why does he do what he does to the Avengers? Because he believes that he and Wanda are meant to be. So Wanda is basically what saved his life while he was trapped and abandoned there. And that's what 
brought him to come back. So that's where he's pushing himself to be. He's clinging to this idea that this relationship with Wanda is going to reestablish his self-worth. And, you know, finding out that she's married sort of takes all of that down and sends him into a spiral of not being sure how to express himself or understand you know, what's going on inside him because he's never really been loved before and he doesn't really understand what love is. Um, Also, you know, in this story, we did, we did, you know, decide at the beginning of this trial that, um, you know, Toad is mentally well. However, in this story in particular, he almost commits suicide. So I would say if there is any point in this trial that's going to go borderline on, you know, his mental illness, I would say this is that place because he's almost committing suicide. And then the person who comes in to save him, Spider-Man saves him, but then still pushes him aside and says, no, you're not worthy of being my partner. You can only be my friend. And so then, you know, Toad's still in this place where he's just unsure of who he is and, and where he can be loved and accepted and how he can show love for someone else. So We've got all of that. And then we have the Brotherhood robots. So let's talk about the Brotherhood robots for just a second. So Toad has these these people who he idolizes, who he clings to, and he goes as far as to create robots of them so that he can have the relationships with those people that he actually desires. And I think that the struggle here is his inability to see the difference between the relationships that he's created with these people and the relationships that he actually has. And so, you know, through all of these things, I'm not saying that it's not, uh, trust me, I think it's it's pretty terrible the things he says to Wanda, but I just don't know where they come from deep in his soul. If they're really about him protecting himself from the situation and not really meant to be aggressive insults towards her. So what I'm asking the jury to do here is to look at the situation and to have some leniency for Toad, because yes, he committed some crimes and he said some pretty nasty things, but he doesn't understand how to love and he doesn't understand how to express himself. And he's constantly being abandoned by the people he thinks are there for him and they are not. So he has to go as far as to create robots to make himself have friends. I appreciate hearing from both of our jury members who still possess their precious flower of maidenhood. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) We're all laughing, but they're all muted. So you can only hear me. (laughs) That's a five. That's a five. Sirens. Sirens. There were sirens. I was trying to save you from that. But yes, my precious, precious flower. Uh, what, uh, What questions, comments, or clarifying points do we need from the jury for this section? Uh... You know, I just I worry about someone that clings to the past and tries to tries to to find what else he can because of those past memories. The, just a lot of these things, and it, I, I, I carry on. Go for it. I, I am going against you in your argument. I just feel as though the way that he goes about this is just it, it understandable, but not excusable. It's just. All right. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Then? All right. In any instance of of Toad in a relationship with someone else, has he had a successful like reciprocation of what he is giving out to someone? No, so except learned- for maybe when Husk was not of her mind. But is that the problem of society or is that the problem of 
Well, Toad's learned behavior is that expressing your care and your love for someone is to abuse them. That's what he learned from Magneto. So that's what I feel like. I feel like to rule in this section, you have to make one of two decisions. On one side, Toad has uh, a fresh opportunity to begin anew. And he completely rejects that opportunity over and over again. He's got the technology and chooses it for evil. He's got the money from Angel in the theme park and he chooses to turn against it. He's got Spider-Man support, but he turns against it. Like there's multiple examples of him to begin anew. Or we see him as the guy who just left the cult behind. The Avengers have tried to kill him before. Uh, Scarlet Witch is the only person who's been nice to him and he doesn't recognize a healthy relationship. Do we view him as the person who is culpable or as the person who has not yet learned? Uh, which as we get farther in, <laughs> he clearly has not learned. But in this section of his history, what are your thoughts? Uh, Steve, go ahead. I, I want to ask one more clarifying uh, question to follow up that. Um, what exactly is the nature of these grievous injuries to the wasp again? Uh, she like ends up in the hospital and is like really badly wounded. And if I'm remembering the story right, uh, Hank Pym captures Toad and like drags him into the hospital room is like, look at what you've done. And then like smacks Toad aside. Uh, it's, it's kind of a violent story on on both parts from the Avengers uh, and from Toad. Yeah, so Toad puts these little like mines in the sky and the wasp is trying to make her way through them and one explodes. Mm, okay, so it was not a direct assault but it was at his hand. And it, was a, it was a booby trap that she decided to go through. That he said. Wow. But she could have. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like society has a pretty poor view of landmines and he basically just landmined it. So, yeah. yeah. There are treaties. There are international treaties against landmines. <laughs> it was sky mines. You know, where, where one... <laughs> Where at one point he was just following along, and now he is repeating the behavior of what he followed. Shush you. Uh, I just, and he I'm did worry about where that action could go if left unchecked. Yes, and he did go to therapy, but he decided he was better and stopped. And then there was a line in that issue. Fear face chat. He said. Spider-Man asks him, oh, did like your psychologist or whatever say you were better? And Toad says, no, I said I was better. There's a really great moment during that issue where Spider-Man's being followed around by the Toad, who he finds horribly annoying. And he's thinking, I need to go home and get home to my girlfriend, the Black Cat. But then in his mind, the Black Cat's body morphs until she looks like Toad. <laughs> and so oh, she's like, she's like Toad's there. body shape in the Black co costume. And he's like, whoa, gross. <laughs> It's actually really funny. <laughs> um, uh, I do think, no, I've already shared my thoughts. Uh, are we ready to vote in this section? I think so. Okay, let's have uh, Steve go first. All right. Um, you know, it's a hard choice between three and a four, but I'm going to throw the book at him. This is definitely over the corner into criminal. Um, I, I want to say that Toad's actions are not exactly criminal in the way i think of criminality in the marvel universe like definitely in ours but like in this not really that harmful except for what he did to the wasp which i'm going to hold against him but i think we should be a little less lenient as a result of looking at toad's intense misogyny throughout uh justin 
I think I'm going to go three just with the intent and just what what he ended up doing and, and what's driving him. Derek? Yeah, uh, I found it very persuasive when the defense said, uh, admitted that everything the toad does is a crime. Um, and so I'm uh, also <laughs> against misogyny and incels. So I think I'm also going for a four. Damn it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to surprise you all and vote one here for two <laughs> reasons. For two reasons. Number one, I think anytime someone leaves a very traumatic situation, they don't know what safety feels like. Safety feels threatening. Uh, he kept going back to what he was known. And I argue, I think that if Wanda herself could chose to throw the book, could choose to throw the book at him or not, she would not hold him accountable. This is a section of his history where we see people being very kind. Uh, so it's a one for me here. Uh, Alicia. Well, I mean, I have to have my clients back, so I'm going one all the way. And Noel. I'm going five. Five. You're evil. Noel. <laughs> So this okay. gives us a, an 18 out of 30 in this section, and that will take us to uh, section number three. This section is called leader. We have Alicia on prosecution and Steve on defense. Welcome to Graham Malkin's trial, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after strategizing for a time with Gideon in the Kings of Pain storyline in an attempt to reincorporate and recruit Proteus, I'm not focusing on that in today's trial. We're just mentioning that it took place. You're welcome to bring it up if you want to. Uh, it's a background story in a couple of annuals where Toad literally appears in one panel as the guy who was behind it all. Uh, Toad then chose to reform his own Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, leaning into a more savage and cruel side of himself. He recruited Blob, Pyro, and Fantasia. Then he kidnapped Carl Lycos and his girlfriend, Tanya Anderson, and used a machine to kill Tanya with his own hands so that her life force would then drain into Lycos, turning him back into Sauron, who could then join the Brotherhood. The new Brotherhood then teamed with the Morlocks and savagely attacked X-Force. They fought X-Factor in an attempt to recruit the Genosian mutant refugees. And then they later did battle with Darkhawk and Sleepwalker in an attempt to force Pyro to work, or I'm sorry, to force Portal to work with the team. Uh, this Toad's Brotherhood, I remember very seminally in my reading as a kid, but as I went back, I'm like, oh, they didn't really appear that much. <laughs> There's only a couple of adventures. Uh, these stories are told in X-Force Volume 1, 5 through 7, X-Factor Volume 182, Darkhawk Volume 1, 19 and 20, and Sleepwalker Volume 1, number 17. Uh, Alicia for the prosecution. All right. So first, I would just like to say thank you so much, Chad for helping my argument by saying that these stories didn't really happen as that large of a story, but yet they stick out so strongly in your brain because they're <laughs> so terrible. And at this point, I would just like to say, Toad knew exactly what he was doing, okay? He knew what he was doing. He planned to be the one behind all of these evil schemes. He wanted credit as the leader for all of these actions. And not only did he recruit people who wanted to be evil alongside him, but he used kidnap and torture to get what he wanted out of the others. So he's he has he's gone real hard into the evil villain. OK, he's really, really there. And 
I don't think that there's much else to be said about the situation that when you are the one at the top of at the top of the group, when you are the one taking credit, then you are not only responsible for your actions, but for the actions of all the people who do these evil deeds in your name. So in these stories, in these instances, not only is Toad doing evil things, but Pyro is doing terrible things. Sauron is doing terrible things. The Blob is doing terrible things. Everyone is doing terrible things all in Toad's name. And he, you know, he just gets more and more evil. And if there's nothing else to be said, there's nothing more evil than a smile that goes from ear to ear that is full of creepy teeth in the shadows. So I think here in this moment, the biggest thing to point out is that Toad has really come into his own as an evil villain in this moment. And he is truly owning what it is to be evil, puppeting other people, taking away the rights of people to make their own decisions and forcing his will upon them. And I don't think there's anything more evil than that. And uh, Steve for the defense. Now, the prosecution likes to throw around the word evil a lot i knew you would say this we're hearing we're hearing a lot about this evil and i don't know if i have ever met somebody who could draw me up a picture of evil or describe to me in a book exactly what the ins and outs and the outlines of evil specifically are but i do know one thing and it is that the prosecution would have you believe that a rictus grin is equivalent to a dark soul and i don't think we should be jumping to such incredible conclusions by the cover of a book, one that has been misread so many times by readers throughout the decades. Toad is somebody who has constantly had the look of a fool, a jester, a grotesque, bumbling idiot, a, a frog even at times. Does that mean that that is a reflection of who he is? No, he has been an abuse victim. He has been a victim of the state. He's been a victim of many different people chasing after him, even from his birth. He's been put upon by other people for an accident of who he is. And I don't think that we should be looking at his physical appearance or his ability to leer out of the shadows as a crime. Now, what I will say for his actions in these issues specifically is I don't see a whole lot of evil, nor do I even see much that I would necessarily label criminal behavior under a court of law. There is some stuff that absolutely steps over the line, uh, according to certain governments, the US government in particular, in one of these issues, I would argue that there is a lot that is done here that is morally defensible, and even righteous and justifiable. Let's start off with, <laughs> Chad, you're looking at me so cross-eyed right now. I mean, there's murder. Like, I'm just wondering where yeah, you're going. Exactly <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the alleged murder. We'll get to the alleged murder. I absolutely oh, alleged murder. murder. It was capital yes, alleged murder. <laughs> So Chad got me thinking on his last uh, vote about the nature of somebody coming from an abusive family or a cult or an organization that that is all they have ever known. They've never had any esteem for themselves and they're trying to figure out how to live life past that, right? What we see in these issues is a man who builds his entire life and models it after the authority figure in his adult life, which is Magneto. We see him reconstruct a brotherhood. We see him attempt to claim a position of respect and authority among his fellow mutants. And he attempts to do what Magneto was doing towards the end of his reign, which was very recently, very, very recently, attempting to amass 
a significant faction of mutants that could defend mutant kind in the coming mutant wars, which are still coming, I think, as of this date. They have not arrived yet. But the mutant wars, you know, there's many factions of mutants out there. There's X-Force, there's the Hellfire Club, and then against the X-Men and the Brotherhood, there is all of humanity. Mutants needed to band together at this time, and a lot of revolutionary groups were doing this, this kind of activist work. And Toad here is claiming power for himself, but also for his mutant brethren and sistren, and he is organizing them. What we see is a pattern of recruiting members. The first member he attempts to recruit is Carl Lycos, and now I will absolutely admit that there is some stuff here that would not hold up in a criminal court in the United States. I think that Krakoa might have some issues with it as well. You know, we're, we're looking at, in the light of Krakoa, an evolving model of mutation as, you know, a marginalized identity for a community. And we're looking at how mutants who have been deemed problems or inconvenient to society at large have been treated in the past. And through the work of groups like the Hellions, we've been exploring how these so-called problem mutants could explore the use of their powers in ways that are good and healthy and outlets for them. Now, Toad is not the brightest mutant on Krakoa. Uh, that nobody will argue that, right? And he's not somebody who knows how to relate to other people in necessarily healthy ways. And a lot of what he's learned has come from violence. But when we see him, him encouraging the use of Sauron's mutant power in a way that he thinks is going to be healthy for Sauron. Now, does it take a human life? Is it justifiable? I don't know. That's not up to me to decide. That is for the jury to decide. But in light of the other events and these issues, I think that those should be taken into consideration. Once he's recruited Sauron, he goes to the Morlocks and attempts to make peace with them. He offers them his talents as a former freedom fighter and as a way to try to make an alliance with this other group that is also underrepresented among mutant factions. And later on, in the pages of X Factor, he ends up literally helping rescue asylum-seeking refugees from an oppressive anti-mutant state that has just been revealed as an apartheid state very recently. They are seeking asylum on U.S. borders, and the government of the United States is attempting to turn them away and send them back into a potentially life-threatening situation, almost certainly a freedom-endangering situation. So the Brotherhood come to rescue them. That's all they do. They make sure that the U.S. government can no longer harm or frighten these poor mutants who are seeking asylum, and he offers it to them instead. Later, in the pages of Darkhawk and Sleepwalker, we see Toad attempting to get one last crucial bit for his uh, faction, which is a teleporter, something everybody needs. It's a way to get around. It's very important. Not everybody has a car. Toad certainly does not. And we see him attempt to recruit another member for his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, one who also comes with assets that may prove valuable in the future. Now, a lot of this is done without respect for trespassing or national sovereignty or the U.S. borders, but who has a lot of respect for the U.S. borders? Not any morally-minded person, I would think. So we have to ask ourselves, maybe some crimes were committed, but were they justifiable? Were they in the service of creating together something strong, something healthy for mutants? Maybe they were done in, in inappropriate manners at times. Maybe Toad does not have the, the wherewithal, really, to lead in the capacity that he wants uh, or that he's seen performed before him. But is he wrong to try to bring mutants together? 
Is he try, wrong to try to just defend the weakest and the most vulnerable of his group? Is he wrong to in, encourage the healthy use of mutation by his uh, fellow brothers and sisters? I, I oh, think that is for the jury to decide. I have one question for you. Okay. Is he also wrong to try to kill his fellow mutants in the process? Uh, which? <laughs> the X-Men. All the X-Men. All the time. For, in this in this in, in this, this era, story it'd be X-Force specifically, right? It is yeah. X-Force specifically and I do not know that he was attempting to kill anybody. Nobody died. Well, Except for Tanya uh, Anderson. Nobody died. Nobody <laughs> in X-Force. <laughs> because when I when I'm searching for the definition of evil, uh, you know, kidnapping, manipulation and murder really come to the top when I, oh, yeah, 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 that, that's kind of evil. You know, creepy grin aside, uh, there's some pretty evil stuff going on in here. I welcomed Steve to the jury and gave uh, them the most difficult defense section. So I <laughs> commend very hard. you. Yes. Uh, I want to I want to toss this I want to toss this into context very quickly. Claremont took over the X-Men and never brought Toad into the story. It's it seems apparent to me that Claremont was not a fan of Toad. He brought in Blob and Mystique and all of these characters and he redeemed Magneto, but Toad was never there. Toad was left in all of the Avengers and Vision and Scarlet Witch books for a long time. This is an era in the early 90s when Claremont's kind of leaving the book. Fabian Nicieza and Rob Layfield have taken over X-Force and they need to create a new brotherhood for them to fight. And they put Toad in charge, which is a fascinating decision because he hasn't been in the X-Men books in like 25 years at this point, maybe quite, not quite that long. So it's just a really interesting story turn for him. I think it's really interesting to put that in the historical context. What clarifying points, questions, or comments do we have from the jury uh, before we vote in this section? Does this brotherhood like have like a mission statement to actually protect mutants? Is that like explicit? I would like to point out that he says very explicitly in these issues, uh, especially in the X Factor issue, that evil is an ironic and sarcastic jab at the human world who has always hated and feared them, whether they were evil or not. He refers to put it in the name. It's a joke. Well, another <laughs> like another. Everybody in that group, as everybody knows. I think another interesting piece too is he recruited Fantasia, Blob, and Pyro, who are all mutants. But then he chose to recruit Sauron, who's not a mutant, and like willingly kill her, her his girlfriend with basically Toad's bare hands in order to get him there, which is uh, which is interesting. Though? What's that? Does Toad think he's a mutant though? Because Sauron is a mutate created by Magneto. Does Toad really know the distinction? Um, perhaps, I don't know, but it's still, an, it's an interesting story turn. Uh, are we ready to vote in this section? Yeah. Noel, you're okay. first. Mm, I'm going to go five for cold-blooded murder. Uh, and Derek? Uh, murder's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> let's go for five. Uh, Justin? <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve. Welcome to the trial, but man, murdered. <laughs> this is a five. Uh, Steve, actually, while well, I found many of your arguments compelling, and I, I would have given a much lower score were it not for the Tanya Anderson story, uh, which is something we were pissed at Blob about in our last trial for watching, but this is Toad doing it. It is a five for me here, too. Uh, uh, Steve. 
I'm giving it a four. I think evil is the purview of books of scripture, not books of law. Okay. And Alicia. Oh, five. Oh, five. <laughs> so this gives us a 29 out of 30, which is one of our highest. But that, <laughs> that image of him killing Tanya is quite scary. He's like, hee hee, she's murdered. He loves it. So difficult. He loves every second. I do. I do want to give Steve respect for for acknowledging that his client, their client, has has committed these crimes, but found some justification into yeah. what you know. At least you know the four out of the five. Yes. Yeah, perhaps to you. you. There's no getting around the murder. You just got to make no. it more acceptable. You just accept it. There's also those images of him with Siren, and he's got his like hand around her throat, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna rip your throat out," and you're like, "Ooh, gross." You're just enjoying <laughs> it way too much. <laughs> I'm very okay. happy to be on prosecution next. <laughs> Section four is what we call lackey again. We have Steve on prosecution and Justin on defense. Uh, Toad rejoined the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, not the one he led, but uh, under a different team, working with Mimic, Blob, Post, Pyro, Avalanche, and Sabretooth in various criminal missions. They attacked a government office and seemingly killed a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent named Jack Kubrick, although Kubrick survived. The Brotherhood then weaponized the legacy virus and used it to kill members of the Hellfire Club. Then they tried to assassinate Senator Robert Kelly. Lastly, Toad joined another team under a drug-addled Magneto, who was actually Zorn or Zornito. And there were plans in place to destroy New York City and kill humans. In this one, Toad is questioning the Magneto character a lot. Like, are you sure you want to do this? What's happening here? Uh, and during this mission, the battle resulted in the death of Jean Grey again. Uh, this one lasted a little while. These stories are told in X-51, 1 and 2, Uncanny X-Men number 388, Bishop, The Last X-Man 16, Wolverine 167, and finally New X-Men 147 through 150. Uh, let's turn it over to Steve for the prosecution. Okay. Um, I think this will be short and sweet for me. Um, generally speaking, there is a lot that goes on in these issues that is outright criminal. Um, obviously, the attack on a, and the the attack on the Shield agent um, Jack Kubrick. Sorry, that is uh, an obvious attempt to fight off a government agency. I, you can forget what I said in the last one. This is obviously a criminal act. <laughs> and. I think the real centerpiece, honestly, um, there's a lot to be said about the later stuff uh, in New X-Men, but I think the real centerpiece here is the weaponization of the legacy virus, which violates the Geneva Conventions in our world and presumably in the 616 under several counts. Um, it's using a biological agent on unsuspecting non-combatants. Um, it is an attempt at eugenics and also genocide. And it is successful. It is successfully accomplished. And to make matters worse, the sole mutant on board is also killed because Mystique would like to cover up the crimes that Toad has to be complicit in as he has been silent and with them for committing all of these. Never once does he protest, never once does he step up to say much of anything in those issues. He is just simply there to silently do the job he is assigned and the job is genocide. It is frightening and it is impossible to defend, in my opinion, in the opinion of this prosecutor. Uh, the attempt to assassinate Senator Robert Kelly, uh, understandable, but it's already been done before. And as we already know from X-Men comics, it could lead to even more disastrous consequences for the future, something that Toad should know full well and that Mystique absolutely does. 
later on in uh, the pages of New X-Men, we see Toad as the mouthpiece for Magneto during what is, for me, universally, I, I universally agree with myself, that it is the worst era for Magneto. It is just the pits. Is he is written as the worst person that he's ever been. He does some extremely inappropriate and gross things with a, a teenage girl that Toad is extremely lascivious to in the pages represented here. Uh, he grossly hits on her. She is underage, and he mentions that he, he would like her to like whip him um, while slithering his tongue. It is just extra gross. I, I have to impress the jury with how disgusting that panel is. Um, and it has nothing to do with Toad's physical appearance and everything to do with his attitude, his personality, and his criminal attitude towards this young girl. Something that we've seen Toad do in the past. He is unfortunately a bit of a repeat offender with this. Supporting Magneto in this is uh, certainly a way to help continue and be complicit in a monstrous action of destroying numerous cities and the attempt at the enslavement and then eventual extermination of humankind by Magneto. But Toad's objections here seem very half-hearted to me. It seems that once Toad understood that Magneto was drug-addled, so to speak, in the pages of this and not in control of his full capabilities, Toad sort of gives up the ghost on any kind of meaningful support, but he is with Magneto through all of the worst of his crimes here. And I would like to rest my case there. And uh, Justin for the defense. Esteemed Jerry, I'd like to point out that most of these allegations are 100% the actions of others. While Toad was a minor accomplice, Mystique and her attempts to enact a long-term plan that she has pushed for, she, he is necessarily just following the lead of another strong force that manipulated him. And honestly, did he even do anything here? If you look at the issues, the points in question, what did Toad actually commit? He had no involvement in creating this version of the legacy virus. He had no involvement in any attempted murder or kidnapping. Toad in, in a, a specific, specific point is hung by his own tongue. Nothing done by him, just wrong place, wrong time. Bad influences from the people he keeps company with. Sabretooth, bloodthirsty killer. Mystique, the manipulative leader firing off depowering guns. And I quote, the variant strain of the legacy virus I created from Mystique. The manipulative monster who would try to kill her own daughter, claiming that her daughter had been dead. She uses people like pawns. She is who should be on trial in this point. Now, I don't know anything that could be said about what's going on with Toad in that Wolverine issue. He, really is just trying to find some power, some strength, some sense of self as he enters into this blood sport match to become one of the greatest fighters in the world. It seems like another version of the danger room. Lacks rules on how far you could go and, and Toad even lost that fight. I also find it hard to fault Toad for backing Magneto after what happened on Genosha. The rage, the passion, the vision for what could be for mutants in the wake of this great loss, this great genocide. Toad is a follower. He's not a leader. And Magneto will always be the man he follows anywhere. One might argue that 
There was more negative impact by Esme, pulling the strings and making moves, feeding Magneto's kick addiction. Toad was only there to support his master at this, this very problematic and, and toxic relationship that is built over the course of decades, swayed by his hell-bent schemes for the world, dominating over it and reporting the concerns of the mutant people. He was a voice of the mutant people in New York, trying to tell his master they needed food, they needed water, they needed support. You know, if you're going to make any ob observation of his role in this, it's a champion of the mutant people. If anything, he was looking out for the people that he is a part of. Thank you. Uh, my sticking point here, a minute ago, I held Toad very accountable for killing Tanya with his own hands. And earlier, I did not hold Toad accountable because there was no fact uh, that anyone in the country they invaded died. But in this case, even if he was a bystander, a lot of people died. They weaponized a virus specifically to kill. So I think part of my question is his, how culpable do we hold him? And there's a compelling argument on either side for that. Uh, what comments or questions do we have from the jury in this section that you need to make your decision? With the virus, what was the situation of it being unleashed? Was it like everybody went together and did it? Was one person responsible for what happened? Mystique. Well, Mystique is the leader of the Brotherhood, but she was with the rest of the Brotherhood when they released it on a boat full of people. They were all together. Yeah. Toad was there in one panel. Toad was there physically. <laughs> one panel. The the, the defense makes him great. Violently fight. attacked the rest of the ship. All right, I just asked if Toad was there though. He was yeah. there. Fair. And I deny. If uh, if Toad had not been a participant, uh, would the events have unrolled as they did? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yes, hundred percent. Absolutely. The defense makes a great point that Toad does not get to do a lot. Uh, in this, and I think that is all the more damning that he never speaks up. There's never a word in the defense of all these people he knows are about to die, and that he watches die as he leaves. But not a cheer shed. While he does not fight against it, he also does not encourage it in any way. He, he is a victim of his own drink. repeated situation, in that he follows the visions of the maniacal leaders that that recruit him to their causes. Are we ready to vote here? I'm gonna go first this time and I'm gonna go three. I'm right in the middle. He's culpable, but he did not plan it himself. Uh, Derek. Yeah, um, in Canada, when we're talking about war criminals or terrorists and stuff, I mean, if you're a driver for the Nazis, you're a Nazi and you were, you were a participant in those things. And without that sort of support, the people who were actually on the pointy end of the stick couldn't have completed all they did. So. I think I'm going to be a three as well. Uh, Noel. Yeah, I feel like there's a point where not speaking is the same as encouraging. So I'm going to go for Alicia. <laughs> Excuse me. I think I'm leaning. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go three on this one. I think, you know, if if there had been more like physical, tact, like tactile involvement of Toad in these things, I would go four or five. But 
I'm gonna have to go three. Uh, Justin. I'm gonna go two. Uh, I understand that if Toad was ever shown to have a backbone, he might stand up, but historically he has not. And, and we can't expect him to be someone who he is not. He is a follower. He is a follower of evil and evil happens around him and he is drawn to it, but he is not responsible for that evil. And if you remove him from that situation, evil still occurs. And there's always, I think there's always the added argument of mutants often feel like they're at war, right? Like we have to do this. So we have to escalate the war. Otherwise we're the victims. I think there's always kind of that compelling space, unless you're just fucking robbing a bank or something. <laughs> Tanya Anderson had no choice. <laughs> That's a different story. Uh, Steve, what's your vote? I think there are a lot of mitigating factors here. Um, not only the fact that they are mutants in a world that has tried to hunt them to extinction over and over, um, I think the mitigating factor of Toad not being present is not extremely compelling. He's just off panel and extremely complicit in all of these crimes that he will not speak up against. But I do think that the fact that we've never seen Toad speak up is definitely a point in the favor that he cannot maybe not be expected to at this point in his life. I'm going to go with a three. Which gives us a... Uh, 18 out of 30 in this section. And we'll move to the final section, which is the modern history stuff. I simply called this section mutant. In this space, we have Justin on prosecution and Derek on defense to close us out. While working as a janitor for the X-Men at the Jean Grey School, Toad, who's back in his green skin and kind of diminutive, pathetic looking appearance, uh, has developed feelings for Husk, who was herself mentally unstable at the time. At her prompting, Toad betrayed the X-Men and helped kidnap students to take them over to the Hellfire Club for their own school of evil mutants, if you will. But he eventually turned against the Hellfire Club uh, because they were too cruel. Uh, I'm summing up that story in a few words, but uh, there's a lot of nuance and the Toad-Husk relationship is very complicated on its own. Uh, later, while very drunk, Toad heard about a teenage Cyclops from the past who had traveled to the present. Believing that uh, history would change in the favor of mutants and himself if he killed this teenage ver uh, version of Cyclops, Toad, who was very drunk at the time, kidnapped this teenage boy and badly beat him with the intent to kill him. Uh, now a citizen of Krakoa, we flash forward a little bit. Toad agreed to take the fall for Magneto when the Scarlet Witch was killed, even though he didn't commit the crime and she is not dead, but he was thrown in the pit anyway. Uh, so these are quick summaries from the stories involving Wolverine and the X-Men 30 through 35, all new X-Men volume two, numbers three and five through seven. And then finally, Leo Williams's uh, trial of Magneto one and five. Uh, Justin, please. I want to talk about Toad betraying the trust of the X-Men. The group that had brought him in and given him a place with them, despite the decades of fighting between them. Sure, he was lovesick and gullible and trying to please someone who had shown him the slightest bit of affection that he had never seen, but you almost want to be mad at him because it's the first time he's been somewhat acting on his own accord. His decision-making skills are terrible. It's only after he's seen the error in his ways, the fact that he has caused this damage to not only the students that he has brought into this evil organization, but, but 
being dumped by his would-be girlfriend that he decides to do the right thing. That's really the only reason why he changes his tune in that story. Declaring murder on Scott Summers, not even the Scott he's mad at, but a younger, much more innocent version of him. Kidnapping, violent acts, long game plots, and intense monologues. This is the work of someone deeply troubled and hell-bent on destruction. I think it's highly irresponsible to dismiss these actions because of Toad's drinking. He was in control and spiraled beyond saving. So we're, we're looking at abduction of a minor, recognizing that Scott Summers is a minor at this time, and attempted murder and assumed successful murder. He believed that he had killed Scott Summers, as well as the defamation of international historical property in Paris, France. And as we see in the last issue of evidence, this has been going on for a long time. This is not just, oh, he got too drunk one time and he decided I'm gonna kill this guy who's mean to me. No, this has been a building plot. This has been something that was worked in the back of his mind as a revenge tactic. This is intent for criminal behavior. Coming to a head with violently swinging a glass liquor bottle at a minor and then causing arson in this historical location. Now, our last trial point is a bit tricky, but ultimately he didn't commit a crime. He did lie in the court of law about his actions, but he was also under oath. He made a mockery of the Krakoan government systems, lying because of desperate emotions and loyalty to Magneto. He took the fall for something that wasn't his doing and eventually was undone. Why? Because he feels as though he's deserving of this criminal behavior. He's, he's deserving of this being sentenced to guiltiness by his actions. And then Derek. Members of the jury, these crimes, and I use the air quotes with great earnestness, are the imaginings of prosecutorial overreach. This issue with Husk, what crime exactly is my client being charged with? My client's girlfriend gave him bad advice and persuaded him to work for an employer offering better health benefits. When my client saw the situation, he gave his two weeks notice and respected and worked the contractually defined notice period. And by the way, during that time, he helped free the X-Men. His attack on Cyclops is not in dispute. My client has PTSD caused by ongoing and repeated abuse by a mutant terrorist. Um, but this contributed to a breakdown when briefly in France, when he was already upset about being deported from the U.S., he was drinking heavily and he saw the young Cyclops. This brought Mr. Toynbee back to some of his earliest times as a victim again of this terrorist abuse. My client does not deny the unfortunate events with Cyclops, but Mr. Toynbee deeply regrets that episode and is seeking support for his PTSD and wishes to make amends as he did when he was doing janitorial services and then helped the X-Men. Um, he's asking for the leniency of the court as he seeks help. I see no regret. Uh, I think it's important to put this time period into context very quickly. Toad's crimes during this section are taking place after the decimation, after they tried out things on Utopia and it failed he winds back up at the Jean Grey school. Things fail again. 
we see Beast and other people teeting, tre- teeting, treating time travel as like very, uh, I don't know, it's like a weird science experiment. When Dennis Hopeless wrote this like all new X-Men series, it was like he was determined to take some of the old threats like Blob and Toad and make them really credible, scary threats. So Toad's beating of Cyclops and this is really fucking scary, first of all. Uh, But does he have this ability to think what I'm doing is a sacrifice for the greater good to make life better for mutants? And that's why he's beating up this teenage boy or is he just a little shithead? (laughs) It's not for the betterment of mutants. It's for the betterment of himself. There is no grand scheme to benefit his people it's because he wants to eliminate cyclops as a threat to what has happened to him personally it's revenge and nothing but and it's is it, 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 there's there's an interesting parallel here that i'm drawing here did he betray the gene gray school and try to kill cyclops and take the fall for the scarlet witch all for the same reason which was if i do this it's better for mutants or is he just not thinking that far ahead does he do any of those because it's better for mutants? Is my question. Does he think that big? We have a whole history of him being just the lackey being bossed around. Is he capable of that type of I don't thing? think he's shown a lot of big thinking. No. I, I would concede that the last point was for the benefit of mutants. And however, he was involved in Magneto and Scarlet, which is plot to create this uh, Elysium Fields to create a a better world for mutants regardless of when they passed away but otherwise he was very self-serving he was very out for his own interests i'm not convinced that the i'm not convinced that the taking the fall for the trial of magneto had much to do with anything more than falling back into old ways and becoming a victim of magneto's manipulation again honestly yeah. It feels less for the betterment of mutants than it does doing a, a solid for Magneto because he might give me a pat on the head. Interesting, interesting. And, uh, and it's not even a crime. Is that a crime a or is it a mistake of justice? Yeah. Uh, okay. Cohen law is very fuzzy. There are <laughs> like three explicit laws. That's it. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, uh, let's go to this section. Let's have Alicia go first. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Listen, it's not it's not a great situation, but there's something about the PTSD and the whole Child of Magneto situation that forces me to have some leniency here. So I'm going three. Noel, mine is similar. I'm balancing the kidnapping and attempted murder with the trial of Magneto situation, so three. Uh, Derek. I don't think the floors at the uh, Hellfire School have ever been cleaner. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go for a one. <laughs> uh, it is a four for me because specifically of the beating of Teenage Cyclops. That storyline in particular is relatively egregious uh, for me. Steve. It's a four for me as well for similar reasons. Um, I have all of the sympathy in the world for people who are struggling with addiction, especially with drinking addictions or suicidal thoughts or extreme depression. But um, the beating of a child while drunk is never going to be acceptable or forgivable to me. It's just not. And it is outright criminal. However, the miscarriage of justice that occurred during the trial of Magneto should be seen as a mitigating factor for his sentencing. 
and maybe for a look towards rehabilitation rather than retributive punishment. What's your vote? Oh, it's a four. Okay. Which gives us in this section nine. Oh, I'm so sorry, Justin, I apologize. Justin, please. No, don't worry. I'll just throw five on now. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a four. I, I think it's a four just because while I would isolate the incident with Cyclops as a five plus, I think that some of the other things were just a, a matter of circumstance. So I, I'm willing to bring that down to a four. But what he did to Cyclops in that, that was very much so him in control, him plotting to enact his revenge to only benefit himself. This is a tough grouping. It's tough, tough grouping there. There's yeah. a lot of history. Okay, so uh, we have a total score of 96 out of 150, which gives uh, Toad a 64% on the asshole scale, uh, which is pretty high. But also, this is a lot of story with a complicated character. Uh, as we are kind of wrapping up, I, as always, want to thank each of you for the gift of your times and talents. Uh, these types of episodes take a lot of preparation and a willingness to nerd out for literally over two hours on a Sunday afternoon, which for Alicia means a big birthday sacrifice, too. So thank you all for your gifts uh, uh, in being here. I am so fond of each of you and I uh, count you among my personal friends. Um, as we are wrapping up here, tell everybody where we can find you online and what we might be able to look forward to coming out from you, recognizing that this episode will come out around June 10th. Uh, I don't have a specific date set yet, but uh, we're a few weeks ahead in the recording schedule. Uh, let's have Derek go first in the Noel. Uh, and then, oh, and then as a, the outro question is, <laughs> did your mind change about the Toad today? What's something that uh, has made you perhaps consider this character differently? So where can we find you? What's coming up? And then uh, just any final thoughts on the Toad? So um, I'm on Twitter as Derek Kunsken, uh, and so D-E-R-E-K-K-U-N-S-K-E-N. Um, and uh, do I have anything coming up? Um, my book, The House of Sticks, is coming out as a paperback. It was first as a hardback, and now it's coming out as a paperback uh, in May. So that ought to be out by the time this podcast is out. Um, my mind did change on the Toad. Um, I had not given too much thought to him, or at least the collection of his experiences. And uh, some of the early conversation in this podcast, I think, reflected how my mind was changing as I was hearing different things that people were saying. And uh, so, yeah, I, I found it uh, really interesting and he's more complex than I think I gave him credit for. Noelle? Oh, I'm Noelle. Um, my podcast is X-Men Unraveled. So you can find that most places. And then I'm on Twitter at L unraveled, E-L-L-E unraveled. I um, am finally to the point where the X-Men are officially together in the podcast. So I'm super excited to get to those stories running through kind of what you've already done, Chad, through the 60s stuff. So it's going to be fun. But um, I'm doing I'm doing it in a different way than you're doing. And I love your podcast. So I'm super excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And as far as Toad, I feel like I'm a little more sympathetic to him, especially having done the reading. I kind of always just brushed him off as, ew, gross little Toad. But um, yeah, I do feel more sympathetic, especially with everything that he's been through. But I don't know, because at the same time, he does choose to do a lot of bad things. Uh, and then let's go uh, Steve and then Justin and Alicia. 
Okay, well, I'm Steve, and you can find me at, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. You can just come and, like, talk. I talk a lot, a lot of things, mostly the X-Men, but other things, too. And you can also listen to me do regular weekly podcasting duties over at X's for Podcast. Um, you can find us on, well, I, I listen to us on Google Podcasts, but I think you can find us on other platforms as well. And you can look forward if you're if you're willing to our Judgment Day coverage, which is going to be absolutely gargantuan. And of course, our delightful re recurring Moon Knight coverage. Um, and honestly, I, yeah, I, I learned so much about Toad from listening to all of you today. All five of you gave me something new and interesting to think about with regards to his character or his trauma or his continuing cycles of abuse. I, it's just a, I'm going to have to ruminate on this episode. Uh, Access for Podcast is doing large scope stuff. If you are a fan of anything Marvel, you can probably find it represented there. And some of our favorite people like Nico and Arturo uh, are represented there as well often. Uh, Steve and I got to do a, an episode of Defenders a while back, which is how we became friends. And I'm so happy you're on here today. So uh, give that a listen if you haven't. Uh, and then I'm just going to preemptively say this. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to on a weekly basis is the Ex-Wife podcast. Justin and Alicia are consistently hilarious and wonderful as they are reviewing the new books, uh, putting them in the context of continuity and making me laugh out loud all the time. So I'm so happy you're both here and I'm thrilled uh, you're my friends. Uh, go ahead and wrap us up, guys. Amazing. Well, you can find us all over the internet at the Ex-Wife podcast, T-H-E-X. W-I-F-E, as in X-Men, not former wife. And if you want to follow uh, me and my cosplay adventures, you can follow me at Wilder Moves on Instagram and TikTok. And um, what do we have coming up? We're talking about the books. We're talking about the books. We're likely talking about Inferno by the time this airs. And the, the classic, not the contemporary. The OG. The OG. But also as we head into the Hellfire Galas and big heavy things heating up. Yeah, and if I can get my act together, there may or may not be a Wolverine Hellfire Gala look from me that you can expect. Um, I've begun the process, but I just realized it's the end of May and the Hellfire Gala is in June, so get it together, Alicia. Um, <laughs> and I would say that there is so much more to Toad than I realized that, you know, when I thought of him, when I, when I thought of his history, mm. I saw only the lackey, the, yes. the follower of evil, but to see just how impacted he has been by those evil forces, by the people that he's surrounded himself with and, and the effects of that has really forced me to consider that Toad is a victim of his surroundings and, and is only doing what he knows. And, and it, it's just layers of what causes him to be the way he is. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and this idea that I really need to kind of sit with this all a little bit more. Um, I think I kind of have such a wider spectrum of what Toad is in my mind because I too really thought of him as just a lackey. Um, and then, you know, you see all the trauma and all the, the abusive relationships that he's been in, but you also, or I also learned how evil he could really be and and that he isn't just following orders all the time but he also is sort of taking control of the situation and doing things that i didn't know like murder yeah like murder and kidnapping and abusing children and stuff like that you know so i think 
these trials are always really eye-opening for me. And as a person who came to comics in the Krakoan age and didn't know a lot about previous continuity, it's always a pleasure to kind of learn all about the characters and experience it with people who make it both educational and fun. So Chad, thank you so much for hosting this and everybody for your insight and your quips and your knowledge and your jokes. I love you all. I'm so happy to be here. We've got five podcasters and a space op. Wait, I got to remember the term you use, space opera sci-fi writer. <laughs> we, uh, we have so much talent and insight coming into this. Uh, I started this trial today with a heavy sense of sympathy for the character, but I'm leaving it with like a compelling fascination for the character, which is a really fun place to be. With both Blob and Toad, I'm like, oh, I really want more of these characters now, which is a, it's a really fun place to land. Uh, our next trial, we always announce at the end of these, is going to be Warren Worthington III. So when we reconvene uh, a trial in about four weeks, we'll be recording about Archangel, which is going to be really fun. And I just finished all the prep notes. It's going to be great. Uh, our next episode on Grey Malkin Lane after this uh, is going to feature the writer Tom Pyre. Uh, we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 46. Uh, and we have content booked out all the way till the end of August now, which is insane. Uh, but literally great stuff coming up for the uh, for the uh, summer and into the fall. Uh, you can find Grey Malkin Lane on Instagram under that name or on Twitter under Grey Malkin P, P like podcast. Thanks everybody for your ongoing support and listening. And we will see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Grey Malkin Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Grey Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Grey Malkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Grey Malkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Grey Malkin Lane. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.